0: In this week's episode, we're talking about diversity and inclusion. There is so much in this space at the moment and what I really wanted to focus in on today was a little bit about the personal stories behind diversity inclusion and what better person to bring in to chat about this topic, but the lovely Ebru Dogen. Let's dive in. If you're trying to promote your brand but stuck finding the right words, this is the podcast for you. Get your weekly inspiration on all things storytelling, creativity, branding, and so much more. I share inspiring stories as well as tips and tricks on how to make your words work out in the world. And if you like free stuff, I've got you covered there too. Head to therightremark.com to steal my marketing secrets. You're listening to The Right Remark Podcast. Hello and welcome to episode 19 of the Right Remark podcast. I'm your host Vanessa Barrington and this week we're talking all things diversity and inclusion. I'm talking to Ibru Dogen who is a diversity and inclusion specialist with over a decade of experience in driving true cultural change in organizations both in the private and public sector. Ebru is an advocate for equality and equal opportunity for all people regardless of their race, sexual orientation, abilities or their age. Ebru is all about giving people a lived experience, a voice to help shape systemic change and ensuring that employees have a sense of belonging and can bring their whole selves to work. Now, before I introduce the gorgeous Hebrew, I would love for you, if you love this episode, please don't forget to hit subscribe and make sure that you don't miss any future episodes. And if you do enjoy it, please leave me a little rating um, or a review. I love hearing from each of you and hearing your thoughts about whether you found this episode helpful or not. Alrighty, let's dive in. Ebru welcome to the show thanks for coming. Thank you for having me. So Ebru you have had a pretty amazing journey from a career perspective and I wanted to chat to you specifically today about what it was like way back when you were a child what it was like growing up in Australia tell me about your own personal relationship and experience with diversity and inclusion.
1: Yeah, so Hebrew obviously, um, different name. My parents are Turkish, born in Turkey. Um, I was born in Melbourne, along with my three sisters, but I very much grew up in a Turkish household. So we watched Turkish movies, we ate Turkish food, we listened to Turkish music, we spoke Turkish. So yeah, I think looking back now, was quite a unique opportunity because Compared to my friends at school I think having that different upbringing I would have had such a different perspective to just everyday life or you know the the decisions that were made that I didn't understand at the time and just from being of different coming from that different cultural background. um, I often did really struggle because I didn't feel like I fitted in with my school friends and I'd often go home and ask my mum why can't I do this or why are we different in this way and you know my parents were from a strict background themselves so often I wasn't allowed to be as involved as the other kids in particularly out out of school activities so that really hurt me a lot I think because I did feel quite left out but If I had known back then that I wasn't the only one going through that, like even as a child, you just don't think about it and you don't know that you're different, I guess you could apply this to, um, you know, diversity in many different ways, whether it's from a different multicultural background or whether it's having a disability or whether it's having a different sexual orientation, when you're younger, you don't realise that you're different. You just realise the pain and yeah, the struggle is not trying to fit in, but just feeling like an outcast all the time. And then as I got older, I actually made quite a few friends from similar cultural backgrounds because the school I went to was very much Australian based and there was probably a handful of kids that had a different background, but I definitely, yeah, didn't feel like the majority and I was the minority. But as I said, as I got older, I started seeing friends that were also from different backgrounds, Turkish backgrounds, Yugoslavian, um, you know, Greek and Italian. So I felt really much more comfortable being with them and, and, and really starting to understand, yeah, we're different, but At the same time, um, that's a good thing too. Mm. So it took me a while to really grasp that. And I guess, so you're similar
0: to, I was interviewing someone earlier this week, actually, who um, similar situation in terms of his family were born in Greece and then migrated to Australia, but he was born Australian. But then that kind of almost feeling of being between two worlds. What was it like for your parents? How old were they when they migrated? That must have been a massive change for them.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So my dad and his family came out in the 70s, along with the rest of the Italians and Greeks back in Melbourne. And, you know, they were very much welcome at the time. I mean, whilst there were difficulties, you know, my dad tells me stories that him and his brothers would always get picked on or, you know, they'd have to take the long way to the train station because they knew if they went a particular road that they would get picked on by kids. And, and you know, my dad got into quite a few um, fights back then because there was still that wog mentality or oh, you're a wog and, you know, the the struggles of being ethnic, but my mum I think had the hardest time because my dad went to Turkey met my mum when she was 17 beautiful young woman lured her over here to Australia on the promise that you know she could study and work so mum left her family her friends everything she knew she couldn't even speak English in love with my dad but also excited about this future and unfortunately, she didn't get that future that was promised. And you know, she came to a country with none of that support. Not even able to speak English. You can imagine, you know, the difficulties that she would have faced. And then to go on to have four kids, I think, really, um, without, you know, wanting, she she wanted more. Not being able to have that, I think, it definitely impacted her life. Mm. That's for sure.
0: And how has that? um like their story I suppose and your own upbringing you mentioned your family you know oftentimes kind of feeling like mum and dad were a bit strict and where your Aussie mates were maybe able to do different things how do you think that has informed your view of the world now
1: yeah, like I, like i said at the time it was a real struggle and and one of the things that I look back on now and I think gosh i as a, again as a child or a, a young person you just don't realize these things and i think your brain doesn't stop growing till you're 25. So really, you don't even get a chance to understand what's happening. But mum and I really struggled to communicate because her English wasn't great and my Turkish wasn't great and she couldn't understand the Australian sarcasm. So we would always fight because I'd come home, you know, being sarcastic or trying to crack jokes or even just general communication was a real struggle. So I don't think that helped our relationship, you know, growing up because we had that Um, communication difficulty but now I look back and I think gosh if I had realized what she may have been through herself and and the position she was in and same with my dad you know having to work so hard just so that we could have um, you know all the things that families needed to survive I think yeah it's it's impacted me in the work that I do now because I truly can understand that not everyone is the same, that we do all come from different backgrounds. Like I said, whether it's multiculturalism, whether it's a disability or gender identification, but just just taking the time to truly understand someone else's perspective, I think, is is really um, significant. Mm, yeah, absolutely. And, and so for
0: you, you've had a bit of an interesting career journey as well, because you didn't necessarily start off working in this space. I mean, this concept of diversity and inclusion in workplaces is still relatively new although it's a human experience it's something that intrinsically we should understand as humans to be kind to each other and treat each other with equal human rights regardless Mm -hmm. of our backgrounds how tell me about that journey how how you came to work in this space and where you started off your career
1: yeah so I'm actually a qualified lawyer. I studied my law degree um, straight out of high school. I did my articles of Clark with the law firm on the Gold Coast but I was young and I was just uh, whilst I finished my degree I knew it wasn't for me. There wasn't enough passion there for me to continue and so I had seen a role for a consultant Um, up in Brisbane around the the role sounded very similar to that of a lawyer so I thought okay well my skills are transferable I could try this and I, I didn't realize at the time it was for a government organization so then when I met with that team it was actually for transport main roads I was quite attracted to the idea of working in a completely different context, you know, for public service and and the role was around attracting graduates to engineering roles, but also, um, you know, looking at workplace problems coming up with solutions working with leaders to build their capability negotiating, influencing, as I said, the skills were similar to that of being a lawyer. So yeah, I was successful in getting that role and I did that for six years at Transport and Main Roads and dabbled a little bit in diversity and inclusion at that stage and, and really looking at the legal compliance side. So back then around 10 years ago, it really was around equal opportunity and anti-discrimination so I think that's where my legal background was really able to come into play and and help organisations in that sense but since then we've come such a long way so from that legal compliance um, perspective it really went into that okay Now that we have that, let's look at the diversity of our workplace. So there were a lot of programs and initiatives in place to get more diverse people into organisations as well as at decision-making tables. And then more recently, it's evolved even more to ensure that whilst we have a diverse workplace, we want to make sure that those people who are in the workplace that come from different backgrounds or identify in different areas are also included in every sense of the organization and they really have that sense of belonging when they come to work. So we, we make sure that, you know, it's staff can now come to work and make sure that they don't hide who they are, you know, whether it's gay, lesbian, Muslim, refugee, migrant, you know, hidden disabilities, we want everyone to come to work with their whole selves. So, yeah, it's it's interesting how much diversity and inclusion has evolved. And I guess me personally, I've evolved with it coming from that legal background to, you know, really using my personal background from growing up differently and having that rich cultural heritage as well as being Australian. And then that legal background to, yeah, driving inclusion now.
0: It's amazing, really. It's kind of this perfect marriage of all these different kind of components of your own experience I suppose like your personal your professional your 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 studies and everything how was there a um, pivotal moment in your life where you felt that this was an area you really wanted to work in
1: once I got into the role here in the Gold Coast because you know I had started here as a lawyer moved to Brisbane did a stint in London came back And then landed in this role, it felt right to me, I remember one day a lady sat in front of me and she cried because she was, we had just given her a job at the hospital, she had a disability, and when she cried to me, the reason was because she was just so proud to wear a uniform and get public transport to come into work and she felt like she was really Part of society. And I think it was at that moment. I know it probably sounds cliche, but I had to hold back the tears because I thought, my God, like there are people in this world, in this community that are just not getting a look in. And just having this designated resource, which at the time was my role, to really focus on that. Yeah, I felt like at that point, I kind of didn't promise myself to do so much more, not just the, the bare minimum, because. Just seeing her and the impact it had on her was really profound for me.
0: Mm. Oh, Amazing. And, and that's the thing. It can make such an incredible difference in people's lives, such meaningful work. I believe personally, I mean, working in the brand strategy space and part of the reason for setting up the right remark was always this belief that, As we evolve, as humans evolve, that consumers or as humans as consumers, I suppose, that we do business with other humans. We don't do business with brands. But ultimately, as we evolve, we also are becoming so much more discerning around the services we choose, the products we purchase, the experiences um, we choose to have, the the places we choose to travel when we can travel again one day, all those things. You know, so driven now by, does this align with my values, a- and that connection is becoming so important for organisations and brands to be able to stay relevant. Um, and I think it's such a, you know, it's such an amazing thing because it, it is so important, you know, that that you yeah. can, you know you make consumer decisions, you make decisions based on does this brand actually align with where I want to be. What I connect with. Can you tell me a little bit about some of the things I guess over the years um, for you and you obviously don't name names, but what are some of the common mistakes that you think organizations make in this space in the diversity inclusion space.
1: Oh my goodness, it's just the most basic, basic things like just allowing our unconscious bias to make decisions for us, stereotyping, labelling and, you know, God, I'm not saying that I'm definitely not guilty of that. I think it's just in our human nature to sometimes automatically go into that pilot mode and stereotype and, and label someone just based on what we've seen in that first instance. So, you know, I don't think that that's necessarily... A bad thing, but I think putting practices and policies and initiatives in place to address that and to avoid that is a great start for workplaces. You know, it could be looking at your recruitment and selection processes and just seeing if they have a more inclusive language to them so it's more inviting for people outside of the majority groups um, to make it interesting for them to apply. could be looking at leadership and and the way that the the role model that leaders play in an organisation. It could be looking at celebrating certain events throughout the year just to show that they are inclusive. Yeah, so I think it's very, it could be very small things. It doesn't have to be this grand program that employs 20 people with disability. It can be the smallest thing, but small steps really make big change.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, a lot of my listeners I know maybe aren't necessarily running large organisations. They may be in smaller businesses. For those types of organisations, those suggestions you're making still hold true, though, like when, you know, when you're putting a job ad out, if you're recruiting somebody, how you put your product out there. What are some of the brands that you're seeing that are really innovating in this space that you think, yeah, wow, like they're really leading the way in this space?
1: Um, Obviously, large organisations have the resources and the budget to be able to deliver these initiatives because they appoint these dedicated resources. So obviously, you know, Deloitte's, um, you know, your bigger firms, PwC, they're, they're doing quite well. But I think it's the ones, the smaller ones that really just show that they're willing to be inclusive. So for example, there's a clothing line called Sabo Skirt. And I've noticed that their models are always quite diverse. I think in that retail space, they are doing really well. The Iconic does really well. You know, They had a person that was transgender modeling some of their clothes. So yeah, I think a lot of organisations are getting there and I just think it's fabulous because imagine if you were a young child and you jumped onto the Iconic or you, you were in a store and, and you saw some diversity and, and you identified in one of these diverse groups, like how fulfilling would that be to see someone that's the same as you, not what we grew up with, which was always, I guess you could paint them with the same brush, they all look the same. So, yeah, I think a lot of organisations are getting there, most definitely. And, the, and I think that comes too with Time's Up, Me Too, Black Lives Matter. Like, universally, there's been a lot of movement in this space for organisations to kind of take stock of where they are in terms of inclusion and really and try and think differently.
0: Mm, absolutely that was going to be something i wanted to ask you about how you think the black lives matter movement has changed things and it has hasn't it absolutely it's you know it's it's calling on all of us to check our privilege to re look at some of those unconscious biases and views that we have no matter how open-minded we believe we are absolutely absolutely I think um, also you've got a daughter as well, So I want to share a little personal story that happened recently, which talks to some of my ignorance and bias without realising. And I consider myself a pretty open-minded individual. My eldest daughter just started high school this year. And my goodness, you and I went to school all those years ago. And my goodness, times have changed. She went with some friends to the movies over the last school holidays and me being me, a typical mum of a almost teen, preteen daughter. First thing I said was, are there any boys going? It was a group of them going to the movies for for a birthday. And she said, oh, there's a group of us. It's all mainly all girls. Oh, but there's Toby, Toby. And I was like, oh, who's Toby? Toby used to be a identifies a girl, but now identifies as a boy. And I kind of went wow and I sort of did a double take and was like wow okay and I said to Bella I'm like far out that is amazing like how incredible is that that my child all these generations later when I think about when I went to high school you know I had one of my dearest friends who ended up coming out and saying that he that he was gay but back then like nobody felt like they you know I mean teenagers always feel awkward right but there was definitely not inclusion
1: um, Mm. in our
0: school experience for a number of groups
1: not at all and I often do say in my role that we really do need to start with the schools because this this generation like millennials coming through now when they come to organizations they expect it yeah they don't they don't want it, they expect it. They would need you to be an inclusive organization, otherwise they're not joining you. And and you, you you want that fresh talent, you want that good talent. So I think, yeah, like almost putting myself out of a job in say 10, 20 years, I would absolutely love that. There are no diversity inclusion advisors. There are no teams that have to drive this because it's just business as usual. And yeah. often with the programs that we implement in our organisation, that's what we try and do. We try and change the culture so that when people are recruiting, they're considering people with disability, there's no discrimination against someone in the workplace just because they identify as lesbian, gay or transgender, intersex, whatever it may be. So it's really ensuring that, yeah, we're, we're catching up with these great young people who just are inclusive by nature, I think. Yeah, which is fabulous.
0: I feel like we can just learn so much and that made me feel so proud as well in terms of, but then it also made me check my own bias. I was like, how do I know my daughter doesn't like women or how, how do I know that she isn't going to grow up asexual or, and why am I assuming that if there is a boy there, that there's an issue? So it's just, yeah, all those kinds of things where gosh, we can learn a lot from, from the younger generation. (laughs)
1: I think so, Ness. And that's a really key point learning a lot from people with lived experience. So I remember a few years ago, I went to see Dylan Orcott, who's our most cherished Paralympian. DJ spokesperson he does a lot I'm sure most people know who he is I I saw him speak at an event once and one thing he said to me stuck with me and I think it's been profound in me delivering and having the success we've had at the hospital because delivering the programs and the success of it he said to he said to the audience don't do anything for us without us. And I thought, wow, how, how simple, but how profound, because what would I know about having a disability? And here I am running programs and delivering strategies and initiatives. What would I know about being lesbian or coming from a migrant background or a refugee camp? Or even more recently, we've added aging to our scope of work because a lot of the aging workforce do get discriminated because you know some of the rosters go to the younger staff members and so forth so yeah so everything we do we do with people with lived experience so we can learn from them about the the true challenges of coming from a different background
0: oh amazing well I just think the work that you're doing is incredible and tell me a little bit about that where can people um, find out
1: and learn more about the work that you are doing So just on our website Gold Coast Health um, and then obviously you can contact me directly like I said we are a larger organization so you know we've got dedicated resources but there are so many things that smaller companies can do to just start and often you know morning teas sometimes get overrated because it's people getting together for food but you'd be surprised how much effect they have in building awareness. So you know if they're there are days where you could celebrate International Women's Day, Harmony Week, Queensland Multicultural Month. Yeah, I definitely suggest to do it because it starts the conversation. Mm.
0: Oh, amazing. Well, thank you so much, Ibru. I'll drop the links to Ibru's social media, LinkedIn profile, and also the Gold Coast Health uh, website in the show notes. Thank you so much for agreeing to be on the show today.
1: Thank you. Thanks, Ness.